Well, Brandon, clearly one major talking point in the game. Everybody been asking for it. We've got VAR. And is there yet more drama to come here? I'm obviously really, really happy with VAR. Ask us to the VAR people, please. Don't ask to me. For me, it's very clear. VAR is for say, is good or is not good. The VAR brings the truth to the game and everybody accepts it. Welcome to the VAR Booth Podcast. I'm your host, Coach H. Thanks for joining us today. And today we have a little bit of a, a special guest. And the reason why I say special guest is because, uh, as you guys know, on this podcast, I tend to give a voice to all the coaches, no matter if you're coaching rec or you're coaching uh, you know, a D3 college in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but on today's episode, uh, we actually have um, a professional coach, uh, coach Michael Ntien, who's the head coach of Tucson Roughnecks out in Tucson, Oklahoma. Coach Michael, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. Just uh, excited to be on your show. Thank you for for inviting me. Um, things are getting back to somewhat normal, so um, I'm I'm happy to to be coaching again and seeing my players. But uh, good to be on your show. Thanks for having me. No, awesome. We obviously I I you know I play coach. I, I pay close, close attention to you because of the fact that uh, obviously you're, you're one of the coaches that are coaching at the high, at a high level uh, and somebody of color. So we kind of, me being obviously you know African as well, we you know we kind of look at what you're doing in order to set sort of like a pathway for us. But we'll we'll definitely get to those points before we even start about talking about what we're going to talk today. I just want to ask you, you know, despite the fact that obviously you had you know, media and community obligations during this pan- pandemic and stuff. How was, how was being at home uh, for, for however long you were, I don't know how long you were at, at home and couldn't do anything. How was it for you? Yeah, it was, I mean, it's about six weeks plus. So me personally, my, my personal life, uh, being home with the family, there, there are some positives to take from it. You know, when you, when you get into coaching, whether it's youth or professional, you spend a lot of time away from your family. So this has been personally the longest time that I've been able to spend with my family. Um, yeah. on, on the coaching side, obviously, it's difficult because an important part of coaching is forming relationships with players. So right. uh, we've lost some personal touch, but I try to stay connected through different media platforms, Zoom meetings, things like that, yeah. um, just to try to stay connected and as engaged as possible with the team. So I'm assuming you didn't run away from the homeschooling a little bit, yeah? <laughs> no, that's, that's not quite for me. You know, uh, I think my wife is a bit more patient and uh, she handles that much better than I can. No, that's that, that's definitely awesome. Uh, just a question from from a professional standpoint. Um, you, when you were, I'm assuming you jumped, you jumped on a lot of meetings with Zoom with your players and stuff like that. How often uh, did you do that? And also... Um, did you do that in in groups or did you do that individually with different players? Uh, both. Um, well, we set three days of actual contact with everyone. So we would do two days of like physical activity. So our strength and conditioning coach would run two sessions um, for everyone. And then we would have a, a separate session based on um, our principles, like uh, basically um, a tactical session that we would plan every every week uh, just to discuss defending, attacking different principles, whatever we wanted to discuss. Yeah. Um, we would send some work basically to the players. So they're kind of 
prepared for the discussion. Yeah. Um, and then they'd have fitness tests that they'd have to submit and things like that. So um, they have to weigh in and things like that every day still, uh, even before then when we were in that moment. Um, so we're, we're pretty on, on top and making sure that uh, they weren't adding weight and things like that, things that I'm doing. <laughs> oh dude trust me I, I know all about that um but um you know you don't have to the, the, you know say their names but were there some players that kind of didn't meet the the, the criteria during this time and if there was how, how did you deal with that uh for the most part um everyone was pretty much on target you know yeah um we i mean i'm sure you're familiar with the beep test um, yeah the players have a certain goal uh, that we want them to reach um, every week. Just it's just for maintenance, you know. Uh, beep right. to me is not fitness, but it's like you're maintaining a level of fitness. So the players are expected to do other things on their own. Um, the players that maybe I felt like um, could be achieving more, I have some individual conversations with, right. um, yeah. discuss. Hey, what else are you doing besides these things? And uh, just just to keep them in perspective of. Uh, you st- we still have to be goal oriented, you know. If the league comes back and say, "Okay, we're, we're starting in three or four weeks," we we don't want players to be so far off that we're, right. we're playing catch up. Yeah, no, definitely makes sense. So, um, coach uh, Coach Michael is obviously the head coach of Tulsa Roughnecks, which he plays in the USL Championships, but he's also uh, the director of coaching for Tulsa ECNL uh, club over there, which is a high level youth uh, team team as well. So. A lot of these questions as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you speak for you know the, obviously the first team for the Roughnecks and also transition a little bit into the youth uh, side as well so to to help some of our coaches who are coaching youth teams. So our topic uh, for today, as teams are going back out there and 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 you know going back into training and uh, some of them in small groups in, in certain areas. I know in Arizona they're really playing competition over there, so they full contact, but. Uh, our topic today was going to be what are some of the things um, that Coach Michael uh, wants to take care of and make sure his team understands and have the ability to do um, before uh, his first game, before the, the league decides to resume in his first game. And that's kind of going to help us coaches kind of, uh, you know, sort of figure out exactly what type of training and what, you know, what we need to do with our players as they come back uh, in preparation for. Uh, you know, preseason or maybe, uh, you know, a lot of clubs going through tryouts right now and a lot of the clubs going into playing to, you know, going into summer leagues and, and stuff like that. So uh, my first question to you, coach, is um, let's just talk about your 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 philosophy and your methodology. For those who don't, uh, you know, kind of watch uh, the USL and haven't seen uh, your team play uh, last year, sort of how, you know, what is your philosophy of the game? Uh, just, you know, you don't have to give us an essay. And then also just go into a little bit of your methodology, how you go about, uh, um, you know, sort of implementing that philosophy within your, your first team at, at Roughnecks. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I would say in terms of philosophy, um, the USL, I mean, uh, is one of the, the most difficult uh, league in, in term, to, to navigate, in my opinion, for a few reasons is, one is the distance and the travel that we have mm-hmm. uh, with the resources. You know, some have more than others. So um, some some clubs are at a competitive advantage or disadvantage based on your resources and even location. Us being from Tulsa, 
we're, we're kind of in the middle and we're on the Western Conference. So we go and play in different time zones, different altitudes, um, and different weather, you know, so it's, it's a very difficult lead to navigate. Um, what's important to me, uh, one of the most important things to me in terms of just speaking about philosophy is being able to control the moments in the game, the five moments of the game, obviously the attacking, defending, and the, the transitions that happen in the game and then set pieces, which I think is very important. So uh, if you're familiar with Tulsa, we just we just had a new, uh, we had an ownership change. And I, I would just say previously, uh, Tulsa was maybe a bit underfunded in terms of uh, competing with other clubs for our players. Yeah. Uh, so to so a lot of what we were doing were based on the resources we were given. And it's more like, okay, uh, I know on an away game, um, I might just be under, you know, uh, our, in terms of like the quality of what we have. They, they have uh, more experienced players, things like that. So how do we set pieces or a great equalizer? Uh, so how disciplined can we be and take advantage of moments in transition and set pieces? Now, I think now we're more... Um, financially, um, I would say stable or competitive. Uh, so we're able to do things a bit more that for my philosophy, which is I prefer tactical flexibility. Um, so my team, I would say I always want to be close to 50, 51% in terms of possession. But if we were 47, 48, I, I wouldn't be discouraged um, because I tend to play with the wingers that, um, that can handle transitions and fullbacks that can handle transitions very quickly. So, which I think is important for away games, especially, you know, uh, the, the only game we got to participate in this year was against Sacramento, who, who's a very good club that's going MLS. And you, yeah. you go, you go to Sacramento first game of the year and they have, uh, 11,000 fans that are uh, yep. very loud and on top of you. Um, you, you have to handle those moments. So, um, you have to be able to soak up some pressure and push the other team back with good transitions and then ease your way into a game and then start applying your own pressure. So I think it's important. I know some coaches might say, oh, no, we play possession, possession only. That That is my preferred style of play. I, I do want us to have the ball and, and create uh, overloads and, you know, and, and take advantage of certain match matchups uh, that we have and try to dictate moments of the game. But um, if a team wants to press us, then I can play, I can play vertical. If teams drop off, we try to pin them in, you know, so a lot of it is, is to be able to, to adapt to the conditions of the game. Yeah. So, so you say you're, you know, in terms of obviously you, you're for position playing because obviously having position allows you to dictate a lot of things on the field. Um, and you, you threw out a stat there. You, you said at least 50, around close to the 50 percentage of having position, if your team is achieving that, say at halftime, what does what does it tell you about how your team is playing if they're achieving that at halftime? Yeah, I mean, some of that are we at home or are we away? But I mean, what's important is like if if you don't have the ball, the other team is can, can dictate a bit of the tempo, you know. So physically, you know, if you're if you're in the low forties, physically, you know, by 65, 70 minutes into the game you're going to start breaking down, you know? So right. I know if all things are about even in terms of uh, possession or we're close, I know my teams typically are going to be physically prepared to compete for 90 minutes. Now, if we're, the other team is um, dominating possession, then 
we're going to start making mistakes, uncharacteristic mistakes, and yeah. the bodies are going to break down and we have to, we have to start to re- rethink or re-strategize things. Yeah. Um, w- within position play, a lot of it obviously goes into, there's a lot of decision-making and obviously tactical, tactical numerical advantage at different places of the field, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how do you, how do you go about coaching the game intelligence to your players, especially players that are coming in. I mean, obviously you added a lot of, a lot of uh, faces into your roster this season. Uh, I don't, I don't quite know how many you did, but how do you go about actually coaching the game intelligence of position play to your, to your players? Yeah. So we, we only retained um, nine players from last year and we have a roster of 25. So we had a big, we, we had a big turnover this year. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and those nine players that I kept, uh, I think it, it was important for me to at least have that core because they understand, um, my principles and my style of play. And, you know, when, when you have a group, a core that understands that they can kind of relay that, you know, to the players coming in, the players that came in are very experienced players that I expect to, to be able to adapt and much sooner than inexperienced players. So with the core of players that we have in the experience, then um, the, my expectations were that we, we should be off and running pretty early. How, how do I do that is, you know, in terms of um, teaching those things, um, first you have to understand, you know, through time, understand how players learn. I, I do a presentation and talk about uh, for the players, you know, on day one, uh, you know, we, we start to talk about goals and objectives and why we're here and why, you know, why I brought you guys here, and why they accepted to be here. And then some of the non-negotiables in terms of, you know, meet my integrity and my morals and ethics. Like, you know, my expectations are, you know, you give 100 percent and how we how we communicate with each other. Uh, there's always going to be adversity. How do we handle that within our group? Just some social norms. Um, but then we start talk about tactically you know, understanding the game. Uh, obviously, you have to rely on some intelligent players, but you have to get them all on the same page. Everyone has different opinions. So um, for me, I lay it out very clear in terms of these are my principles. I show them those things. Um, I, I can be flexible at times with those things, but there, there's some things that I can't be flexible with. Uh, and this is the style of play. This is my expectations. And then we start playing matches in every match in preseason, I try to have a minimum of six matches uh, because they're, I, they're, to me, I have six phases of the game uh, in terms of attacking and defending. So each match will have an objective and we'll work on that training objective lead, leading up to that match. And this is what I expect, um, whether it's building out of the back or defending from the front. Um, uh-huh. That's an objective that we have. And so uh, we, we train on that. We go to the match. We discuss um, how we execute it in terms of that objective, and we build on top of those. So by the time we finish with the six objectives, they should have a clear understanding about each phase of the game and what we're doing in each part of the field. Yeah. Um, I, I do give some, um, like, I guess you call it assignments in terms of, okay, we recorded um, these, these scrimmages or this match, and then, you know, we'll freeze frame it, and we'll talk about what should the player I've done in this situation. What should the players around him be doing in this situation? We we'll kind of freeze it, A, B, C, D. And then uh, we would have gotten all the, the players' answers and we kind of poll it and show, okay, eight players think this, nine players think that, three, whatever. 
uh, and then we kind of roll the video and then we talk about it, you know, openly and discuss. And, you know, we can at, at some at the end of it, we need to have clarity and agree why yeah. I think we should do it this way. Well, I was about, I was literally, I literally just wrote down, yeah, I was like, you know, how much freedom do players have of interpretation in your technical objectives? There's six, there's six objectives that you, that you sort of lay out to them. How much freedom do they have to, to, you know, maybe edit twists and turns yeah. depending on their own ability and this, their own understanding? Yeah, I, I mean, I think for on the pro side, I think that's why you you hire certain players because you you watch right. enough about them that you expect. I mean, you you can get it wrong at times, but I think for the most part, you pick up players because they're close to already doing what you expect them to do. Right. Um, you know, players don't like to be joysticks, so but they have to be on the same page. So you know, right. they they have they, they they do have a license. It's a player's game, I think. You know. So they do have a license of freedom that that they're given, but they also have a responsibility to stick um, to the script, the, the tactical plan that we put in place. Um, some players do that differently, you know, and if a player is not living up to that expectation because of the flexibility, then, then they're, maybe they're not playing, you know, until they get <laughs> understand it, you know, what we're doing. So yeah. I think players... I, they're intelligent enough to know that what this is what the coach wants uh, for me to play. I need to do it the best of my ability to to how he wants it. Yeah. And then once they establish themselves, I think they probably get a little bit more comfortable after that, uh, adding their their own uh, input. But first, I mean, to get on the field, you have to show that you can do it the way the coach is expecting right. you to do it. And I, I mean, that's 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 very good because I think a lot of coaches um, sort of they don't know how to really manage. Uh, playing time and that goes a little bit into playing times but we'll get there I'm, I'm getting a little bit micro with this a little soccer nerdy but how detailed are you in terms of position because we're talking about position player how detailed are you um in terms of position of a player are you do you talk in in yards do you talk in uh in in little millimeters to the left to the right yeah. deep depth with how how detailed are you with that yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I hear about some coaches talk about inches and yards. And, you know, I think that can get a little heady for players. But yeah. at the same time, I understand why, uh, because those things do matter. Um, so I I can get close to, to being uh, that over the top, but I can I'll tell them why. You know, I don't say I don't say I mean, you have to be at this position when the ball's here every single time. You know, I I use terms. I use terms that, um, like you said, you use a good word, interp interpret. So, like, I, for example, I, you know, some coaches will say, you know, when we have the ball, I want you all the way to the sideline. You know, I want your heels on the, you know, on the white or whatever, the paint on your heels, whatever. Uh, I, say, I say we need necessary width, you know. And, uh, right. And for me, necessary width is, hey, until we're clear and we shifted the ball uh, out of danger, I don't need you to get to the sideline. I need you to get enough to where if the ball's coming your direction, you can get there, but I need you to be able to prepare to transition, you know, uh, yeah. if we were to lose the ball in the build-up phase, which would be the worst. So, I mean, I, I talk about, um, I would say more positionally, like in areas and thirds of the field um, rather than you know, yards. Yeah, I definitely understand it. Um, going into communication, uh, my next question was obviously, uh, you know, I've, I've witnessed you on a few occasions on the sidelines. You seem pretty, 
pretty calm. Uh, well, I, I compare every coach to myself, and everybody's calm <laughs> compared yeah. to me. But uh, yeah. but uh, you seem you seem pretty calm. There's not a lot of uh, anim, you know, you're not very animated. Uh, you know, most of the time you have one hand in the pocket, the other hand kind of directing a couple of things uh, uh, as you're going by. Talk about your overall communication with your players. You say, obviously, there's certain words that you use uh, in training that, the, that they'd be able to understand. How do you, how do you stay so calm on the sideline <laughs> when players, especially going, you know, when you're going something like something like positional play, which is so is detailed, and players are not doing it correctly. How do you stay so calm on the sidelines? Yeah, I mean that. I would say maybe I'm more of a volcano. Uh, on the inside, it's it's, it's <laughs> boiling. Uh, but I think in in the heat of the moment, what uh, as a former player, what I understand is, I mean, what I want is clarity. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, players have to make timely decisions that can win or lose a match. And, you know, when they get enough of that from fans that, I mean, what they need from me is for me to give them direction. So yeah. if, I'm, if I'm, I feel like if I'm as animated as a, as a supporter or a fan or, or a competitor, then uh, they they lose focus of what they're supposed to be doing. So yeah. and players, you, you, there's definitely some players that on the big stage when the lights are on, they find it very difficult. So how do you help them navigate through that? Uh, yeah, sometimes I, you know, I, and I can I can be animated at halftime when we go in and things like that. But yeah. um, basically, I am trying to overall look at things from a, a, a point of view that I can help them. Sometimes emotions blind you as to what's going on in the game, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I try to keep myself calm and my players. So they at least feel like they have um, someone that's directing them. That's, that's looking at things from a, a non-emotional point of view. And the game is very yeah. emotional for sure. Very it's a hundred percent. I feel it. Uh, if I, if I lose or win either way, I'm not sleeping that night. Uh, Cause I'm replaying things in my head. Yeah. But uh, I just try to take a point of view that how can I, how can I help solve the problem? In the, in the game, that's how I look at the game. The game is about solutions, and I think I need to try to be as calm as possible to, yeah. to make uh, good decisions. No, good, good, very good point um, that I won't take because I'm at whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, um, so we've kind of got in a sense of of you know how how you play, how you go about playing, um, you know, tactically and stuff like that. Let's get into a bit of the, the training and more to the topic of, of our discussion today is, um, okay, you know, obviously you got the clear that you're allowed to re- resume training, obviously in small groups. Uh, as much as you're, you're thinking about those small groups, um, the first question is, how did you go about pairing certain players together? What, what was the main sort of like factors going in in terms of pairing certain players together for those small groups? Yeah, I mean, it's it was difficult for me because, you know, we as coaches, we like to think in terms of units and, you know, players that have uh, certain relationships on the field. And that's that's out the window. I mean, so it, it's about common sense for me because now these players have roommates. So if this is about a virus and their exposure to certain people, uh, yeah. who, who are the people they with the, they're with the most. So the guys that live with each other, I have to pair them. Guys that typically ride together, I have to pair them. Um, so that, that was really the only way I could do it. You know, wow. um, it's very difficult. Uh, so in, in terms of what we're doing on the field, you know, you, 
and I see some of the sessions you're doing, and I think they're really good um, for us. It's even four four players can only be uh, within what six six feet from another group. So there's some certain things you can do in terms of tactic tactical work, but um, it's it's been a lot of technical stuff that we've been doing, um, which. And the tactical stuff we're kind of doing online and, and, and in discussion classroom type stuff uh, yeah. or, or online. But uh, it, that part's very difficult. So basically, it's just been roommates, people that they're typically expo- they're exposed to. Yeah, that's that's a tough situation to very, very tough. <laughs> to, to, to be in. So so you're saying um, because of your circumstances, you were just, uh, you know, it, it logical you just had to pay place together for you know the pandemic in mind, um, but what you're doing with the players first, sort of like your first goal is to just rust off the technical ability of the players because that's only as much as you could do at this moment. Yeah, it's 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 maintenance, and I wouldn't even call it. I, I don't I don't think it's pre. It's more of a pre preseason. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's no, we, we can't have contact with each other physically, you know? So uh, preseason, obviously, you know, guys are coming in competing. You're playing small sided games. You're, you're playing larger games and there's competition. Uh, we want players to be competitive. So our players still in their, in their groups of four, the, the players are all still chipped in, with GPS. So we rank the players every day uh, in their groups. Um, group one was this took this place and here's our overall GPS load that they did. So we, we try to make it as competitive as possible and players yeah. are competitive. Uh, but at the same time, we don't have an objective. We don't have a match. So mm. you also have to keep it. Um, you have to keep, you have to keep it fun at times because, you know, the pressure, the, what, what, what drives players is pressure every week to perform. And when you don't have a game, um, it takes some of that off. And so you try to make them compete, but at the same time, hey, they have to enjoy it to want to come out. Because at the end of the day, it's still voluntary. Yeah. I, can't, I can't demand uh, that a, we have we're, have about three players that aren't participating at the moment because of their own uh, structure, their families, or they have young infants, or the wife are, has potential uh, at, at risk, things like that. Um, all of them valid, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but um, so... You know, we, we, we're doing the best we can with it. It's you, you said a, a big word over there is, is it's still voluntary. Um, yeah. And you're talking about professional players here who are actually under contracts. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, as, as the DOC of a, of a youth club, what was the message to your coaches about getting the players back on the field? What do, what do they need to be doing first yeah. with those just, players? Just- yeah, just to clarify, on the youth side, I'm, I'm not the director of coaching anymore. I consult with them, and I'm still yeah, okay. I'm still pretty active with them. But I, fig- um, I, I figured that because I was like, I don't know how you could juggle both. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's not possible. So this yeah. this this past year, uh, I basically removed myself completely. But I'm uh, the, there's a new owner also in the youth side, um, yeah. and they, they come. I mean, I speak to them probably every other day. Um, in terms of my thoughts and opinions, but uh, it's not me directing um, the coaches. Okay. Uh, but one hundred percent, yeah, consulting them on all these all these things. So um, what would so what would your message be to the coaches about that? Yeah, I think first and foremost, uh, I mean, there there's there's lives at risk, you know, and there's tryouts and things coming up, and you know, it's 
all markets are competitive, you know, and you're you're scrambling and competing for for players, and it's those things are important. So we always feel like we need to be first, and 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 there's been things like. Um, you know, there's no team training yet, and there, but there's tryouts coming up. And how do you get an edge? You know, so there's a lot of individual training and things like that that go on. Uh, so, so player coaches are starting to see players individually before tryouts and things like that. I mean, I, I just, think, I just, I encourage uh, coaches to to think a little bit more about, hey, let's, what about the well being of the child? I think this has been a difficult time mentally for everyone. I don't. I don't think everyone pays attention to that. I, I hired a, um, a mental therapist for uh, my players to have access to because, I mean, sitting alone or right. you've been on lockdown and quarantine and you're in your own head, you know, uh, in, in uncertainty about where your career might go in this moment. People need someone to talk to. I think first and foremost, uh, let, let the players enjoy it, you know, coming out of being in at their homes like, uh, they need to have fun, you know, but, um, and they're human beings. I mean, they're young, but they're, they're human beings. So first and foremost, they need to find, make sure that they have that love and passion. And it's great to, I mean, I mean, to exercise and come out, especially, I mean, I did see some youth players. I'm like, man, this kid grew a foot since I saw him last or, you know, right. sort of kids, some kids put on weight, you know, whatever it is, but don't, uh, I mean, don't discourage them and criticize them and those things. It's tough for everyone. So just for them to try to enjoy the game again and get back to it. Um, but the coaches need to try to stick to protocol as, as much as possible. As much as possible. Yeah. As much yeah. As possible, yeah. All right, so you know you you guys have been training. I think what it's been two weeks now. Small group training. Eventually, you guys are going to be allowed to obviously incorporate more players into training. Uh, what are you? And obviously, we don't want you to give away your goods here. But, but <laughs> what um what are what are you now in terms of obviously you you're the you're the head coach, so you have to see the overall pictures. You have assistants. What are you what are you thinking about? In terms of your players, what do they need to understand first? Do you work from the goalkeeper up? Do you work from the strikers down? Do you just start with transitions? Where do you go first? Yeah, I, I mean, it's that's a good question. I think um, maybe some coaches uh, are more reactive in terms of what they do, depending on what they think the needs of the team. Uh, I'm totally different. I have uh, I, I'm, I'm very objective about what I do. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, and I, I did make a recent change in terms of what I've been doing. I, I used to start uh, with the ball and, and then build up phase. Uh -huh. uh, so week one, maybe not week one, week one is more general uh, small sided games with conditioning variations. It would be preseason week one for me, but well, the second week we're more objective. So it would be building from the back week two, building in the midfield and then creation and penetration week three would be attacking in the final third phase. I, I switched that around and, you know, uh, to start with defending because uh, yeah. I think to me, that's one of the most important things, especially starting a season is understanding yeah. how, to defend, how to recover the ball. I mean, it's not, if you don't have the ball and you know, forget about building up. So how do we, how do we get the ball first? So I think for players to have a good understanding of that, and, you know, something I thought I've been thinking a lot about is who defends, you know, and, and for my style of play, 
um, the front is the most important. You know, obviously the back is the ones that defend the goal, but you know who protects him, who who can who can who stops the the other team getting to that position. That's how that's defending from the front. So um, my first objective is how do we defend from the front, and then I go defending in the middle third, and then defending the goal. Oh, your offensive players must hate that. <laughs> so they're, they're yeah, no. training and all of a sudden they're going into defense rather than <laughs> no, no, for sure, for sure. But at the same time, you have you have to you have to encourage them. You have to reward them right. with transition. You have to reward them. Transition right. and goals are are that. And once you show them that, hey, the closer you win the ball toward the other team's goal, the more right. opportunities you have. Then. You know, they understand why we're doing it. So I, I, I would never defend without a transition or I would never build without a defensive transition. But, you know, I, I think that's impossible to leave a transition out of whatever your objective is. So if we're defending from the front, we're scoring goals like we're doing attack and third work or more or more. I mean, I, I try I try to I try to encourage them uh, to be hungry to defend because it's closer to the goal. Yeah, that's a that, you you bring up a conundrum. I, I call it this is the soccer sort of like the the, the soccer foot whatever football conundrum you know of the chicken and the egg is <laughs> a lot of people begin training with the ball, but you don't always start a game with the ball. So where do you start training? And for you, you say you want to recover the ball first before thing. And I think. In my opinion, it's it's smart because to, to defend your goal first uh, and you know stop any leaks probably gives you stability to actually be more offensive. So uh, it, it's smart in that way. Um, let's talk uh, in terms of doing that now, coaching that within within your players. Um, you're talking tactical defensive uh, triggers defending spaces, forcing players to go a certain way, or are you just talking about let's just get the ball recovered in terms of maybe compacting or, or, or something yeah. like that? Yeah, I think the first part is, you know, when you're in, in preseason, you, you don't have a specific opponent in mind yet, you know, so it's, it's basically your, your, your principles of defending, mm. and it's not based on an opponent yet. So if I've done a six-week cycle, so I've gone through all my six uh, training objectives, and now I have an opponent. The first match, we're playing Sacramento. I've done my homework on Sacramento, so I know how they build out of the back. With the principles that we already have, defending from the front, how do we become more specific in terms of Sacramento? Mm, okay. uh, which players, you know, so we know where we want to trap teams always. Uh what side are we going to trap them on based on the players that they have, what weaknesses or strengths, um, our weaknesses and strengths defensively. Right. Um, so um, what do we want to set our line based on their style of play? So typically in preseason, it's more about, okay, this is how we defend, you know, uh, from the front or wherever we're, we're focusing on for that objective. Now, once we get into the season, we become uh, more detailed, Apply, we, we keep our same principles, but now we, we apply them based on the, the, the opponent. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Just to kind of make it into simple English, what, he, what he's saying is in preseason, he's teaching his team to set a line. And then when they have an opponent, it's teaching exactly where to set a line according to the, the opponent they're going to play. That's very smart. Um, 
And you would think that there's something logical, but trust me, that it doesn't happen. <laughs> on a it doesn't happen on a on a weekly basis. Um, yeah. How much? So okay, you start defensively. Uh, while you're working on defense, I'm assuming you, you're giving maybe a week or two on that. While you're doing that, are you still giving offensive? I mean, you said you, there's always a transitional moment, but how much work are you giving to your offensive players to work on the on those offenses? Do you maybe hand that that task to one of your assistants, or or you just everybody's focusing on the defensive triggers and all that stuff for this first week or two? Yeah, so I think one of the most important things uh, in a training session is the opposition. Uh, so for us, if like, if we just continue with defending from the front, someone has to build out of the back, you know? Uh, and if, if the assistants and myself, typically I, I leave the, I leave the opponent to, to the assistants to organize, but uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of the first coaching points that I make is organizing the opposition, you know? So if we're defending from the front if, and I stop right away and it's going to, it's going to be about how the other team needs to be moving the ball. And so what we're mm-hmm. doing is effective. You know, they have to be good at what mm. they're doing for us to for all the solutions and situations to come up uh, for us to defend against. They have to be organized and, and their objective and building out of the back, you know, and sometimes uh, I can use starters for that or I can use substitutes for that. At, but in preseason, I have an idea, but I have to rotate players to give everyone an opportunity to see where they're at in terms of build up. You know, so we might be defending from the front, but someone else is doing build-up play. You know, so yeah. we're working on both. We're, we're working on both sides of those things. That's awesome. Um, obviously, you know, you you're a professional team, so you have uh, you have facilities that uh, coaches have dreams about, um, which gives you a lot of room to do a lot of things. But just explain to us exactly how how do you go about uh, building uh, your session? What do you start with? Um, in terms of when your players land up on the field uh, until when they walk off the field. Just give us a general sense of how do you how you, how that session kind of looks like. What did they do? They start with a small sided game? Did they start with technical work? Yeah. How do you do yeah, I think all, all players they show up um and and you know they're on the field typically 30 minutes before we start. So if we start at 10, the players are out at 9 30 and they're playing rondo or two touch juggling or you know, some ball striking things uh, on their own. Um, about five minutes before the session, I bring everyone in just to give them, you know, to t- talk about the training objective, you know, and just to, you know, get them in the right frame of mind of what we're doing. And if it's, you know, if we've done it for a day or two, uh, building on, you know, what we did over the prior days, if it's a new concept, then, you know, they've probably, we probably had video before, uh, on what it looks like, um, you know, early in preseason, it, it wasn't, it wasn't us. We didn't have a game and these are new players. So there's some, there's some teams that I study that, you know, at the highest level that I kind of pattern after, or, or that they can see that this is what I expect at the highest level, uh, for my principles, you know, and then after we've played some games, we can use our own video, but we still have to have re- references at the highest level possible. Um, so after we had some discussion on in terms of the training objective, uh, the assistants will take them uh, on the warm up, and then um, typically we're going to do a rondo uh, again, something like that. Um, and then we start into some light. You know, typically we like to get the body going. I know 
you know, a lot of everyone has a philosophy about how training should go, but all players like uh, some pattern movement uh, in technical work to start for 10, 12 minutes, you know, so just to get the blood flow and the legs going and, and to get them in a, a training mentality, you know, I think our, you know, I, I think you have to understand um, the under, the, to understand a player is like they're creatures of habit. So for me, I think just a simple passing pattern that gets them into I'm working, my body's working. It's still part of a warm up. Um, I could be do, defending as a topic, but hey, we're still got to pass and get the legs going and get them um, extend that warm up. So after some passing work, things like that, we get into the training objective. Um, I try to start with a, a smaller. If we're doing some defending, um, it's going to be. Um, I want players to show some intensity in defending, a good attitude about defending. Um, so um, if we did a rondo, it could be a rondo with an objective or it could be, you know, a simple 4v4 plus three game. But um, but with the intensity and the concept of defending. So what they're going to hear from me in that small game is defending principles, body shape, how they close, speed of closing, forcing them to your help, forcing them outside, uh, just our normal principles. That's what I'm going to be is just coaching over the top and, uh, and encouraging and praising players when they win the ball based on the training objective. I'm not going to talk about, you know, all nice pass or things like that. I'm, I'm trying to stick to the objective, which is good defending. Um, then we build out from there and we go into maybe a half field game. And then typically we, we finish with a, a 9v9, uh, sometimes 11v11 game, depending on where we're at during the week. Okay. Um, that's a, that's a very eventful uh, structure. Do your players after that, do they have the, the freedom to kind of do what they want? Maybe, uh, maybe the offensive players want to work on uh, free kicks or something like that, or maybe set pieces or something like that. Do you set aside a time or you give always. them a, Yeah. Always, always. Yeah. They, uh, typically the attacking players, uh, you're going to see them doing some crossing finishing. Maybe they, they're telling the fullbacks or wingers to stick around for them. Sometimes it's the, the wide players that want to cross and things like that. So they're asking the forwards, uh, the defenders. Um, if, if there's something maybe we haven't done in a while, can pull them to the side and do a little back four positional stuff and team shape stuff. And sometimes the, the, the defenders are even asked, you know, me, if I can do an extra four or five minutes with them on team shape or yeah. just discuss some things like that, you know, just typical shifting stuff like that, or, or it could be build up passing stuff, um, shifting, you know, just how we connect, um, you know, so there, there's always, always after every day and, and well, I can tell if, if my, depending on how my practice was, if it was an exhausting topic, yeah. you know, uh, or if I, um, I, if I did an overload in terms of I was trying to push them past their physical peak or where they're at at the moment, then typically you're going to see them go off the field. But uh, <laughs> during, during season, during season, typically they're all going to be doing that extra. Yeah. And then, how do you how do you reflect on your sessions? Do you as soon as you walk off the field, uh, do you automatically go reflect on the sessions, or do you wait until maybe you get home, and quiet time of um, the day, you reflect on the sessions? Yeah, during, yeah. During season, during season, uh, the coaches we meet will meet after the session, uh, and you know, just hey, thoughts, feedback uh, on on how these things went. Did we objectively, I think that's one of the the most important parts in coaching is being objective. Like 
what was the goal? Did we get there? Yes or no? Or partially what was missing? Uh, just asking ourselves the questions of um, who was important in that session, what unit, um, you know, team-wise, where were we good? Any individuals that didn't meet expectation that we need more out of? You know, yeah. we, have the, we have those discussions every day. And then it, it goes home with us also. We're on our little coach's WhatsApp group, and we still, you know, um, yeah. we still communicate throughout the evening uh, about that and then how we're moving forward with the training session for the next day. Yeah. No, it definitely makes sense. All right, let's let's get off the field a little bit. Um, just talk, let's just talk about your role in 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 society right now. And, and you know, one of the realities that we have in our society over here in the United States is not only is there not a lot of um, uh, it's, I need to phrase my words correctly over here because there's there's a lot of minorities that play the game, but they're not really represented at, at certain high levels, but also in the coaching front as well. There's a lot of minorities that coach, but not at the at, at the at the high level. You're one of them. Uh, other other ones like uh, you know Dennis Hamlet, uh, Hamlet was over there in winter. Uh, Fraser was there as well. Let's just talk about your your role as being one of the you know leading people of color in a head coaching position, not an assistant, a head coaching position in professional soccer, um, how much does that weigh on you? Um, how much does it put pressure on you? And do you, do you like the pressure? Do you invite the pressure? What do you do with it? And it's, uh, at this point, you know, especially in, in current times when, when things are, you see so much social injustice that happens, it's, it, it for sure, it weighs, it weighs on me heavily, but it's also a good motivating factor for me. Um, I mean, I, I, I wear that. It's an honor to be honest. And I don't, I don't take it lightly. Um, I, that's probably why I take, you know, if I lose, it's, it's like, I didn't just lose for myself. You know, I lost for, for people that I'm trying to wow. open the door for, wow. you know? Um, so yeah, that's, it's heavy. Um, but I also, in, in terms of motivation, I just want to continue to get a, a bigger platform, you know, through coaching, through, through my craft to be able to speak about these things at, at a, at a, at a higher level, because, you know, just this past week, what happened, um, you know, I, I look around and I observe and I see the lack of, uh, communication from very influential, um, people, companies that, that choose to say nothing. Yeah. Uh, about these type of things. So it's an important, it's, it's important. And I, you know, and it motivates me to, to continue to improve and, you know, uh, to help other people um, find the path or to gain respect that we're capable uh, of doing these things and doing a good job and, and working with people at the highest level um, and to continue to move forward and speak about, not be afraid to speak about it, but, you know, first, the most important part for me is I, I need to be good at what I do in order to keep keep the job myself and to make sure that others are getting an opportunity. So it's heavy, but, it, it, you know, but it's also uh, a great motivating factor for sure. Do you, do you ever catch yourself, you know, feeling a certain way about a certain thing, but because of the fact that you, you know, everybody knows you definitely in, in, in Oklahoma, everybody knows who you are. Do you feel like maybe you have to filter yourself or maybe, you know, hold back on saying certain things because of the fact that you are, you know, one, you know, an, an, a person of color in a, in a high position? 
and a lot of what you may say may sometimes may not go well with certain fans and might you know get fans away from the seats and stuff like that do you ever think about those things uh yeah a hundred percent you know um you know i i try to reflect and think about you know um what i want to say but more importantly just to be honest this week um i haven't honestly i haven't found the words uh this week to speak about it you know even some people friends um, some people have asked me because typically I will I will give an opinion on so social media about thoughts on things. Yeah. Uh, things have weighed so heavy on me this week. I, I haven't found the words to be honest. Uh, but you know, um, typically I don't censor myself in in terms of my position. I mean, I, I do have to speak uh, intelligently. I, I can't be careless about what I say by right. any means. You know what I mean? And yeah. and, and at times. You know, I, I have to hit pause and think about it and, and say, OK, I mean, I need to be employed and to continue to move forward to to be able to to make a platform for myself and others to continue coaching. So, you know, you, you do want to be, you know, it has to make sense of what you're saying. You can't you, can't, you don't want to put yourself in jeopardy. And then, you know, there's a bigger there's always a bigger picture, you know, but yeah. You know, at the same time, you can't not say things, you know, there's some right. things you have to address, but I, I do have to keep in mind that there, there is a big picture, not, not for myself. And, and I'm not looking at it like, Oh, I could lose my job. It's not, it's more like I have to continue to do well, you know, because other people yeah. also need that opportunity. No, definitely. Coach Michael Entian, uh, thank you again for your time. Uh, we know that you're very busy. Uh, good luck with, uh, with the rest of, the new season <laughs> that's, that's yeah. yet to come. Um, hopefully you guys uh, do better than you guys did uh, uh, last season. And uh, this, w- this would be your second season as head coach, correct? Yeah, second full season. So um, I, I feel like it's in terms of our players and, you know, and the, the resources that we have, it, it should be the best season that, that Tulsa's had so far in, awesome. in this league, in this championship. That's awesome. Michael Encian, head coach of Tuso Roughnecks, playing in the USL Championships. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. That was our episode with FC Tulsa head coach Michael Encian. In this episode, I refer to the club as their previous name, Tulsa Roughnecks, but they are currently now known as FC Tulsa. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe and hit your notifications for upcoming episodes on the VAR Booth Podcast.